A date which will live in infamy. Both of those projects, initiatives, got off the ground because of the Gare out of the 24 who were killed were Americans who had come to learn in Kevin. I say one million Jewish children who were made to be cut in Whoever heard such beautiful words, It is never too little, it is never too late, and it is never enough. Jewish History Soundbites, bringing alive the world of our glorious past. Here is our host, live from Jerusalem, Jewish historian and tour guide, Yehuda Geberer. To Jewish History Soundbites. This is Yehudi Geber with another episode of Jewish History Soundbites. And this, during these challenging times, uh, tragedy today with the passing of the Novominsk Rebbe, Rabbi Yaakov Perlau. So we'll have a bit of a tribute episode uh, to him and his memory. So this uh, special tribute to the Novominsk Rebbe has been generously sponsored. Leilinishmas, the Rebbe, Rabbeinu Yaakov ben Nachum Mordechai, sponsored by Duvi Silberstein. For all back office nursing home billing, please contact Care Network Health. Could contact via phone or text 908-305-0595. Um, also want to mention that I'm getting a lot of great feedback um, from listeners about the launching of our uh, column in the Mishpacha magazine, together with uh, collaborating on that column with Davi Safir. Thank you to him also. And thank you for all your feedback. I hope you got the Mishpacha, and I hope you subscribe so that you can get it regularly. It's going to be a regular column. And I want to thank Mishpacha magazine for uh, giving us the opportunity and uh, dealing with it very professionally and great people there to deal with, and I'm, I would say I'm not now part of the Mishpacha family, but that's a bit redundant, so anyways, getting to the Novominsk Rebbe, so I remember I actually had the privilege to meet him several times as a child, I remember the first time I saw him, he was in uh, Forche in Muncie, where I grew up uh, for Shabbos, and you know, he's a distinct, distinguished looking individual, wearing a spudik. So right away from a young age, I recognized that a spudik, it was, um, you know, belonged to Polish Hasidus and not uh, not exclusively to Ger Hasidus, like many people think. So I already had that uh, ingrained from a young age, and I was struck uh, at the same time seeing him as a child that first time for Shabbos, both by his simplicity, he didn't have any airs about him, and also at the same time his regal bearing. He had a presence to him, and that was a something that was a distinguishing feature. I remember also, um, also as a child, the only Siyam Hashas I ever attended in the United States, I believe it was the 10th Siyam Hashas, and uh, at that time I was still uh, 
a young boy. I did not yet know Yiddish. And a lot of the speeches there were in Yiddish. And I didn't have a great seat as it is in Madison Square Garden. And um, so it was kind of getting edgy. And he spoke. And he starts off in Yiddish. And then halfway through his speech, he all of a sudden shifts gears. And he said, and to my English-speaking brothers. And then he went the rest of his speech in English. And I remember saying to myself at that time, and I was I was a young boy, I said, wow, I like this guy. I like him a lot. He is smart enough and is has the ability to accommodate everyone. He knocks out the first half of his speech in Yiddish, rich, beautiful Yiddish. And then he calls out to my English-speaking brothers. And he continues in English. And that was really who he was. He was able to uh, to accommodate everyone and to be with everyone. He was a man of many hats, so to speak. And I said he wore the spudik, so that was his hat, but he really wore many hats. You go through a few of them. He was, he belonged to Polish Hasidus, the world of Novominsk. His mother was from Sokolov, which is Kotsk. He's a Kotsker Enikel, a descendant of the Kotsker. That was one one aspect of who he was. He was also very American. He was uh, one of the first Rebbe's, maybe the first Rebbe to have been born in the United States. And he spoke a perfect English, a beautiful English. He learned in Chaim Berlin, was close with Rav Huttner. Um, he went to Brooklyn College, had a degree. He had that you know strong American side to him. He was a Rosh Hashiva. A, a a amazing Rosh Hashiva. He was a huge Talmud Chacham. He gave a you know shiurim. He was a father to his Talmidim, very close with them. And he was not only a Rosh Hashiva, but even within his career as a Rosh Hashiva, he was in such diverse places. He was at the Hebrew Theological College in Skokie for many years as a Rebbe, as a Rosh Hashiva. Later, Reb Shimon Schwab brings him to Yeshivas Rabbeinu Shamshin Rafal Hirsch, better well known as Broyers, in Washington Heights, where he was a Rosh Yeshiva there for 11 years. He then had his own Yeshiva in Borough Park, Novominsk, where that was his own place, where he was a Rosh Yeshiva for many years till, till now. So even as a career as a Rosh Yeshiva, he had a nice diverse uh, cross-section of society there as well. He was a Rebbe to his Hasidim. He was a Hasidish Rebbe. And most of all, what he was most famous for was as a leader, as a Klal leader, as a communal leader, a leader of Agudas Yisrael. He succeeded Rabbi Moshe Sher as the head of Agudas Yisrael. And that perhaps is where his most influence was felt, was as one of the great leaders of Klal Yisrael, of the Jewish people, um, during the last decades um, of his life. So how does how does one man do that? Do all that? I mean, it's a long, diverse uh, career and and a lot of different types, a lot of different facets of it. And there's probably many factors. I'll just touch on a couple of them. Not definitely not uh, comprehensive here. To a certain extent, he he epitomized what what America American Jewry had to offer, especially in the post-war era. Like I said, he was one of the first, maybe the first Hasidic Rebbe born in the United States and educated in the United States. Back in Europe, 
geographical distance created different subcultures. A lot of factionism existed in the Jewish world. There was a dispersion across Europe, across Eastern Europe. And uh, each place was their own place. And there was not allowed, excuse me, not allowed, <laughs> not a lot of uh, mutual influence. It was almost impossible in the old world to have uh, the diversity and the mutual influence from different communities and different customs and different cultural and religious backgrounds. Like if we cut to New York City, there's like a kibbutz Goliath. There's people from all over Europe, all living in the same Brooklyn neighborhoods. There are Jews from all different backgrounds, cultural backgrounds, religious backgrounds. Every stream, every community, that's what America afforded, and he epitomized it in that urban setting to be able to take in and influence and be influenced by by it all, to a certain extent, that was living the American dream in a very, in a very Jewish way, in a very powerful way, and that's how he was able to, to um, one one way that he was able to be what he was is, is specifically because of what the opportunity that America afforded. You know, in Israel, there's similar situation, so perhaps in Israel could afford the same opportunity. Also, it reminds me of a story that I heard from the famous author, uh, Reb Sreli Besser, who told me about his grandfather, Reb Chatzkel Besser. Um, he was discussing in his uh, last days on earth with his son about who should speak at his levaya. Pailish Eden were able to speak about death pretty easily. So he was speaking, who's going to speak at my levaya? So he said, in, in the United States, the only one who I want to speak by my levaya, the Novominsker Rebbe. He he knows, he knows. He would say what has what has to be said. Avraminsker you know, had a lot of seichel. He knew what had to be said and how to say it. He also was a very charismatic, great speaker. And there's going to be a levai. There's going to be a funeral in Israel. Also, Sir Pachatzko Besser said, "I don't want anyone to speak at the levai in Israel." He could all speculate why, but perhaps. Uh, now, the Minsker Rebbe knew what to be said and how to say it, and he knew that in Israel, they, the inheritance of the factionism that existed in Poland is still somewhat alive, and uh, anyone speaking would would uh, would be agenda driven for uh, for a specific cause, or maybe that he suspected of that, or that's just my own personal biases. I don't know, but that's that's what it reminded me of when I heard that. Um, that story, but in any event, the Navaminsky Rebbe was was very human, very down to earth. Um, I was speaking with today's the sponsor of this episode, and uh, he would tell me how his personal relationship with with the Navaminsky Rebbe, how he would seek out his advice on an array of real life issues. He was totally open with it. He wasn't very distant. He wasn't very rebbish about things. Until uh, we could say it that way, he was very real, very down to earth. He himself had a special needs child. And um, Jewish history soundbites legend Eli Neuberger uh, related to me that uh, once the Novominsk Rebbe spoke at an organization, um, educational facility for special needs children, and the Novominsk Rebbe, who was a famous speaker and a famous person, one of the G'dayli Yisrael, he gets up and he says, I'm not coming here as a speaker. I'm coming here and I'm speaking as a fellow parent. 
And there's literally thousands of stories out there. Most people who can relate these stories are people who actually knew him, many of whom knew him well, and they'll do a much better job in the coming weeks in print and in audio and in other uh, formats and frameworks. They'll do a much better job than I could. So therefore, I think I'll stick with what I uh, do best (laughs) and go more into the history, the background, the context um, of where the Nevominsk Rebbe came from, and therefore, in the stories that we'll hear in the coming weeks, we'll be able to be able to put it into the the uh, this context of the wellsprings that he that he drew from. There's another factor in the in the makeup that made the Nevominsk Rebbe who he was was the nature of the dynasty that he came from, which is Nevominsk. What is what was Nevominsk? Where did they come from? And uh, the Nevominsk was a, they were known in Poland as Polish Karliners, which is an interesting title to bestow upon the Hasidus. And we'll have to explain what the origin of such a term comes from. They were Polish Karliners. What does that mean? So, in fact, the dynasty was founded by the Nevominsk Rebbe, whose name was Rabbi Yaakov Perlau, was his namesake, or the original Rabbi Yaakov Perlau, who was a grandson of the Kaidan of a Rebbe. The Kaidanov, which comes from Lechevich, Lechevich, which eventually gave birth to Slonim, Kobrin, who was a big Hasidus in Lithuania and Belarus. And it, the Kaidanov comes from Lechevich, comes from Stalin. The other, the other uh, main branch of, uh, of Litvish Hasidus. And the original Novominsk Rebbe's father actually took his father-in-law's name, the Kaidanov Rebbe's last name, which was Perlau. Now, ironically, it wasn't the Kaidan of Rebbe's original name either. He took his grandfather's last name. His grandfather was Reb Asher of Stalin, the Stalin Rebbe. And the Stalin Rebbe's for centuries, the Karlina Rebbe's for centuries, they were Perlau's. And he took his name. So the Kaidan of Rebbe now became a Perlau. And later, the Novominsk Rebbe, the original Novominsk Rebbe's father, also took the name Perlau. So he becomes a Perlau. Now this Rabbi Yaakov Perlau moves to Novominsk, which is a town near Warsaw in Polish. It's Novomazowiecki, and and the essentially that move he leaves the domain of Litvish Karlin territory to become into the center of Polish Hasidus. This is the Warsaw district. This is the epicenter of Polish Hasidus. So they're making a big conversion here to Poland. He attracted a large following. He had a yeshiva, and he, ironic that the uh, the name Novominsk, Novomazovetsky, means New Minsk, right? Now, Minsk is in Russia. It's a very Litvisha place. And here it's the New Minsk in Poland, and, uh, and uh, he comes along and he establishes himself there. Eventually, you know, he has a son who takes over. His name was Rabalter Yisrael Shimon. Rabalter Yisrael Shimon is a very long name, way too long. So luckily, people called him, and that was a safer, was called after that by his acronym, by the acronym of his name, which was Ish. And he was the Rosh Hashiva of his father's yeshiva when he was still in his 20s. He was a legendary masmid. He was a legendary davener. He would daven on the Yomim Neiroim, this Ish, this the Rebbe, the second of Aminsk Rebbe. He would daven all the davenings, all the tefillahs of Yomim Neiroim, of Rosh Hashanim Kippur himself at the Amr, as the Chazan. All of them from beginning to end. Now, during World War One, like many other rebbes, he moved to Warsaw. 
It was a big flight, which I've discussed in other episodes of of uh, Rebbe's and other people moving to the big cities during World War One. And Warsaw was one of those destinations. And the Nevermintz Rebbe, like many others of his time, did the same thing. And like many other Rebbe's, he stayed. And in the interwar period, he established himself and his court in the middle of Warsaw. The Warsaw in the interwar era is the stuff of legend. It's the center of the Jewish world. So he's an urban Rebbe in the modern world, in a changing, changing world, in an urban setting with a very diverse Jewish population, both the religious Jewish population is very diverse, and the ir- less traditional or ir- irreligious Jewish population is very diverse. And that's where he sets up his chatzar in the post-World War I era. Now his origins are in Russia, in Lithuania, and yet he gets very close with the Polish tzaddikim. He was talented enough to be close with both the Ger Rebbe the Emreyemes, as well as also the Alexander Rebbe. That's, that's pretty talented, to be able to be on good terms with both. And he did, he did so. He was an interesting individual. He, one of his customs was that he only spoke Lushan Kaidish, the Hebrew language, the original Hebrew language, on Shabbos. He didn't speak Yiddish on Shabbos. He only spoke Lushan Kaidish, the holy tongue. He was very active in communal leadership. Now, aside from raising his own children, he also raised his nephew, um, who was an orphan, and his he was the future Abraham J. Heschel, who was later in the in the Jewish Theological Seminary, very famous individual also. So the previous Navaminska Rebbe, the, the Navaminska Rebbe who just died now, his father, we'll get to in a second. He grew up in the same home together with Abraham J. Heschel. Now, both of them eventually moved to the United States, and both of them acclimate themselves to America, but both of them do it in very different ways. So that's also an interesting side note, that uh, that Heschel grew up in that same home. Now, this Ish, this Rebalter Yisrael Shimon, he's buried in Warsaw in the Varsha Jewish Cemetery, next to the Suckle of a Rebbe, who was his Mechutten, right? The Suckle of a Rebbe's daughter, married the next Radomska, the next, excuse me, next uh, Novominska Rebbe, um, Reb Nachum Mordechai, the Novominska Rebbe's father. So they're buried next to each other, actually. We, I go there all the time when we go to the Warsaw Jewish Cemetery. The two of them are buried next to each other. Now, the last Radomska Rebbe's uh, burial pl- places kind of blocks the Novominska Rebbe's uh, oil, so that's a little upsetting. It's hard to have to like, kind of squeeze in. But these Mechutanim, the Sakal of a Rebbe, and the Novominsk Rebbe are actually together. So, and that's where our opportunity is to speak about Novominsk, because I never end up in Novomazovetsky. <laughs> I've never gone there. But uh, maybe one day we'll go there. Now, this, this, this Ish, he has two sons who take over. One son, Rabbi Yosef, who stays in Warsaw, goes to the Warsaw Ghetto. He dies towards the end of the war. He becomes a victim of the Holocaust. But the other son is Reb Nachum Mordechai, and he's the one who marries a Morgenstern, a grandchild of Kotsk, the suckle of a Rebbe's daughter, and he eventually moves to the United States in 1927. Now, the suckle of a Rebbe was a big Agudist. He was one of the leaders of Agudist Yisrael. He was a very, very active communal leader, one of the greatest in the world. He was one of the founders of the Agudist Rabbanim of Poland. There's a lot to say about Reb Zelig Morgenstern, the, uh, the suckle of a Rebbe, and his 
connection to Kutsk and how he tried to live the Kutsk ideal in his uh, leadership and his leadership of Polish Hasidim and his leadership in Agudas Yisrael. And uh, he was an impressive individual. And that's the grandfather of the Novominsker Rebbe. So Reb Nachum Mordechai Perlau, the third Novominsker Rebbe, moves to America. He's one of the early prominent Rebbes to do so, especially since he's from a mainstream Polish Hasidus. He's not running away from the Soviet Union. He's not leaving Vienna. He's from a famous dynasty. He's from Warsaw, from the center of Polish Hasidus. And he picks up and moves to America. I'm not sure why he went. Alfasi, Yitzhak Alfasi says that he was an emissary of the Agudis Yisrael to go to America. So it's interesting. Not sure what that means, but that's how he ends up settling there. He um, settled in the Lower East Side, later in Crown Heights. He was a very simple person, an unov, very modest. He had tremendous excitement in his daily learning. It was described by study partners of his about how his, his Slavos, his excitement, always jumped up to get the Sfarim that he needed himself, never let anyone do it for him. He was also a big Agudist, big member of the Agudis Yisrael. He had disputes with Satmer in this regard and their positions on certain communal issues, Jewish, uh, uh, Jewish people issues. And ironically, this Reb Nachum Mordechai Perlau, the third government Skarabah, he served in two roles in the Agudas Yisrael. He was both on the Mayetzes Gedele HaToyer of Agudas Yisrael, and he was also on the Presidium, on the organizational board, basically, of Agudas Yisrael, running the day-to-day affairs. So this foreshadows his son's position in the Agudas Yisrael in his later years following Rabbi Shashara's passing. He's the leader, kind of like the president of Agudas Yisrael, like Rabbi Shashara was, and he's still, as one of the G'dayle Yisrael, a member of the Mayatzis G'dayle Yatar, and he's able to wear both hats within the Aguda itself. His father, again, still on Reb Nachum Mordechai Perla, was a big believer in the Daf Yoimi. He was dedicated to, sacrificed for it, his health. He believed in its ability to bring Jews from diverse backgrounds and from communities worldwide that it would bring them together. And he was therefore a big believer in the Daf Yoimi. And of course, his son, the Navaminsk Rebbe was very often the keynote address at several Siyume Hashas. So he's continuing that legacy. And uh, interesting that um, the um, Nacho Mordechai, the Navaminsk Rebbe's father, he, he had a way of tackling new Klal Yisrael problems. He would say, they're not new problems. He would say, problems always repeat themselves. So when I see what seemingly is a new problem, I try to think to myself, what would Reb Chaim Eizer Grzynski, what would the Ger Rebbe, the Imre Emes, say in this situation? And that helps guide me as to what I should say. He once heard about the spiritual needs of South American Jewry in his later years, and he said, if I had the strength to go down there and teach them Shema Yisrael, or to convince them to send their children to a Jewish school, I would do so, but I'm just too weak. And we'll end off about his about this Mordechai Perlal, the third Novamitz Rebbe. We'll end off with something he said about Yaakov Avinu when he came to Shechem. He said he did two things: he minted coins. I think he's quoting a Chazal or a Medrash or something, and he also built bathhouses. And he said the lesson implicit in that is that we need to interact with other groups. We mint coins. We interact with them, but. You have to have the bathhouses. You have to have the ability to wash yourself off afterwards and remain separate 
together with your own belief systems. You have to live with the world, be with it, be integrated, but know where you stand and remain in that isolation as well. So he dies in 1976, and the Rebbe, the current Rebbe, the one who just died, Rabbi Yaakov Perlau, takes over as the Rebbe. Already prior to that, he was being groomed, he was being groomed within the Agudis Yisrael. And uh, it, all this context, I think, very much brings out the wellsprings from where the Novominsk Rebbe drew from, where he grew up in, and all the stories that we're going to all hear in the coming weeks will reflect this context and help us put it into proper perspective. So may his memory be a blessing. Stay safe and healthy. Hope everyone is safe and healthy. Have a chakash v'sameach. Enjoy your Pesach. And thank you for the sponsorship, the special tribute to the Novominsk Rebbe, which is sponsored by Nishmasa Rabbi Yaakov ben Nacho Mordechai, and it's sponsored by Dovi Silberstein. For all back office for nursing home billing, contact Care Network Health via phone or text 908-305-0595. This was Yehuda Gabriel with Jewish History Soundbites. You can reach me at ygebss at gmail.com for questions, comments, sources, tours, and trips. Hopefully again soon. You can subscribe now to Jewish History Soundbites on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher. Follow us on Twitter at JSoundbites, and I hope you enjoyed.